All right. Jesus, we thank you for this amazing opportunity we have this morning to gather together to be inspired by uh, your story through Scripture. We just ask that through today's gathering, just our, our times of discussing our um, prayers and thanks in our prayer circle, even through the teaching, that each of us just find a way to feel closer to you and closer to one another, that we'd feel the sense of community, we'd be inspired to live out uh, this story differently this week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, big welcome to the McSweens who are in town. We have uh, been awaiting this for a long time. So exciting. Um, all right. Well, this morning I, uh, uh, I'm excited about today's talk. I don't know. And I'm in a goofy mood, so we'll see where this goes. So this could be a really, I don't know, goofy mood plus message that seems really great. I, you guys are just really lucky. You don't realize how lucky you are quite yet, but by the end of it, you'll be like, man, I'm glad I got up today and came to church. But... Yeah. <laughs> you, see, you just woke up ready, just anticipating. had nothing to do with the little boy and the bow tie, but just all, let's see what Luke brings today. All right, so, do you ever, like... Um, did you just ever get annoyed that, that God is not more like we see more power, that, we, that uh, we see more influence in what's going on around us, the, the world, things changing? Like, I, I find myself at times like really understanding it like theoretically, like, okay, I get what's going on. And then there's other times where I'm like, I want, I want there to be more manifestations of like something going on. Uh, sometimes it's, it's really grandiose, like I want the 1% who control all the money and seem to run around doing whatever they want to have these divine moments in their life that just like all of a sudden they're philanthropic and they're taking care of these needs and the world is a happy, better place. And then there's other times when I'm driving in this morning and all of a sudden the tunnel at 94 is closed and I'm like, no, why, what? Like, no warnings, like, I'm, I've, I've, I timed this out. I'm going to get to church on time this morning. And then Apple is the worst at directions when it's construction because they start taking you places that you're just like, where are you? Where are we going? Like, what? And then when you figure out it's so bad you got to switch to another app, you're just like, I was praying this morning. I was in a good mood, Jesus. Like, what's going on? Um, so me and I put comedy on the radio after that because we're just like, you know, we just need to laugh a little bit. Like, this is it's a good way to start. We're going to make this happen. But sometimes it's like... Um, what are Jesus' priorities? When he was here or even after, like... We still have cancers and incurable diseases, it seems. We still have natural disasters. And you're like, okay, maybe you don't want to micromanage us, but like some of this stuff, like could we just see like a, and it's just like gone, and then we'd know. Um, I think there's that secret hope for miracles or something happened or there's wanting to be protected from any kind of harm and knowing that because I'm a follower, it's just going to turn out this way or... Even like the poem at the beginning of Scripture, this Garden of Eden, we got Adam and Eve in there, and like uh, we turn it into this murky tale of a snake. But he's like, do you want to be like God? And they're like, sounds great. Especially if the way to become like God is through juicy food. Like it wasn't climb a mountain or even at that, like sacrifice your firstborn or like just look at how beautiful this apple is. You want to eat this and you'll become like God. And it was, sure, and I hear a lot of people like, yeah, that, that first sin, or they'll blame it on Eve, and you're like, if any one of us were there, and like, truly it's our human nature, like, I would love to be more like God, 
if food was the avenue to do that, this sounds like a win-win. Like, I, I don't know. It really did sound like something like that. But then I, you get into the scriptures, and you see something completely different. And um, I think so much of it stems from shortcuts. We want that fast. We want it to be, we want the world to change quickly. We want whatever I'm going through to be done tomorrow. I want to just live carefree and not have to worry about any danger coming. And if that comes with a God tag on top of it, it would be amazing. But we see Jesus' life so different, and there's a story that kind of jumped out to me really recently that I haven't, hadn't kind of thought about teaching from this before um, that I'm looking forward to. It's his first act as an adult. He, we got those missing years that we read that book, uh, Lamb, together, as, and we figured out where Jesus was during those missing years. And, uh, but he comes back, and his first deal is he goes into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And that's the story we're starting from today is this. Um, Satan tempts Jesus to change the world, to achieve his goals uh, by just, he's trying to get him to shortcut everything. Like, let's just do it faster. Let's have a shortcut. And I think it says a lot about where we're going and what's going on in Scripture. So we're, I'm going to read it from Luke 4. It's in multiple Gospels if you want to follow along. It says, When Jesus returned from the Jordan River, he was full of the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit led him away from the cities and towns and out into the desert. For 40 days, the Spirit led him from place to place in the desert, and while there, the devil tempted Jesus. Jesus was fasting and eating nothing during the time, and at the end, he was terribly hungry, and at this point, the devil comes to him. Again, I think it's really funny that it's like food is centered around these like major things, like Adam and Eve ate the apple, and, um, and Shira and Ryan bring great treats that I just keep seeing at the back as I talk. We should really like not put them in my view, like when teaching is about to happen. So the devil says to Jesus, since you're the son of God, you don't need to be hungry. Just tell the stone to be transformed into bread. And Jesus answers, it's written in the Hebrew scriptures, people need more than bread to live. So then the devil gives Jesus a vision. And it was as if he traveled around the world in an instant and saw all the kingdoms of the world all at once. And the devil says, all these kingdoms and all their glory I give to you. They're mine to give because this world has been handed over to me. If you just worship me, then everything you will see will be yours, all yours. And Jesus, he says, get out of my face, Satan. The Hebrew scriptures say, worship and serve the eternal one, your God, and only him and no one else. So then the devil leads Jesus to Jerusalem, and he transports him to stand on the pinnacle of the temple. He says, since you're the son of God, just jump. Throw yourself in the air. You keep quoting these Hebrew scriptures, but they themselves say he will put his heavenly messengers in charge of you to keep you safe in every way. And they will hold you up in their hands so that you will not smash your foot against a stone. So the devil's now quoting scripture at Jesus, being like, okay, you're giving it back to me. Like, here's this. Jesus responds, yes, but the Hebrew scriptures also say you will not um, presume on God. You will not test the Lord, the one true God. It says, after this, the devil had no more temptations to offer that day. So he kind of gave up. Jesus made it out of the 40 days in the wilderness. But J- Satan here, we get this like matchup, good versus evil, this conquest of the ages, um, Batman versus the Joker, whatever. This is our version of it. Jesus is in the, in the desert with Satan, and he gets tempted. But the things he's tempted with, like if we really look at them, like what are they really like, like what are these temptations? Are they really that evil? He tempts, he offers him bread. He says, if you're hungry, turn the stone into bread. Just do a miracle. Just make yourself some food right here. Just 
you need food, so just make it. Let's make it happen. He offers him all the kingdoms of the world, which is part of what Jesus' life is after anyway. He's here to change everything, to, to bring the kingdom of heaven to the worlds around us. And he's like, in an instant, this will just be done. And the next thing he says is jump from a high place in order to prove that God is willing to protect you, this physical safety. Like, if you look at it, so physical safety, food when he's hungry just instantly, and he gets all the kingdoms for Jesus is what's offered him. These are the three temptations of Christ that he finds in the wilderness. Um, but they seem almost like Jesus' prerogative. Like, if, if you're looking for a Messiah to come, if you're believing all these years of Jews for this Messiah to show up, aren't some of these things the things that you're like, well, I'm, I'm pretty sure he's going to be able to do miracles and make food manifest wherever because people are hungry. I'm pretty sure he's going to be able to bring safety for everybody and he's just going to take over the world instantly. Like, what else do you think a Messiah is going to do with these things? And you're like, but, all of a sudden, but Jesus resists the temptation on all of this stuff. Satan tells him, he's like, if you're really God, if you're really the Son of God, then dazzle me, show me, prove it to me. There's theologians that say that Satan had no idea who Jesus was, and there was tons of people saying that they were the Messiah at the time. And so he would want to show up and be like, show me your miracles, prove to me what's going on. Like, show me what you got. And Jesus refuses to enter into those things. He also, though, it seems like he's tempting him with the good parts of being human without the bad parts. Because Jesus is fully God, but he's also fully human. And so he's like, okay, let's, let's see this played out. Let's see what's going on. To savor the taste of bread, but without having to be subject to the laws of nature, to wait for it to grow or to um, just supply and demand when it's there. Like the moment you need it, you just get whatever you want. To confront risk in life with no real danger. If you screwed up, if you jumped off a building, he's just there to catch you. It's just, it's just this. The temptation for enjoying fame and power without the possibility of rejection. It's just yours. No one has the possibility of rejecting you. You just get it instantly. They seem great in themselves, but also he's showing us something here that there's, there's something more to this. Because the temptation that Jesus resisted a lot of times seems like what many of us, his followers, the church, are, are begging for him to give us. So we, just like Satan, are like, come on, just... Let's do a miracle here. Let's speed this up. Let's just make me safe all the time. Let's, let's just, why can't you just clip your fingers and the whole world will be yours? Let's just turn it into your kingdom. It's like, why can't we do that? So the same thing that the devil tempts Jesus with in the wilderness, like I, I'm not just saying us as a, like a vague amount, like I feel it to my core. There's moments where I'm like, oh, I've done that. Like, yep, I did that yesterday. Like, the, like I feel this longing to want the Messiah to look like this, to want Jesus to look like these things. Yet, there must be something more to this then. And so I guess the question we got to ask ourselves then is, what should the Messiah look like? Because beginning with this story and really all the life of Jesus, he starts to show us this reluctance on speeding things up, this reluctance to just use miracles at a whim and to try to like make his name famous. He's not any, he does these great miracles and someone's life is changed. He's like, please just keep this to yourself. Don't go running around telling everybody. And you're like, what? I would be like, did you see me do those backflips on my bicycle? Like, tell everybody I'm the best bicyclist there is. Like, spread it wide, spread it far. Have them show up at my house. There'll be a, I'll be an exhibition at 7 p.m. Friday night, and I will show you my strengths. And he's like, no, don't, don't tell anybody about that. He's like, 
taking this like completely 180 degree different approach to what we think would be like, this is what you would do if you were the Messiah and show up, right? This is what we need him to do. We, we, should he look like this people's Messiah? That, and this is, the, I mean, even as I'm reading this to you, I feel it on the inside, like my answer to this is like, yes, he probably should. The, the people's Messiah who can turn bread, stones into bread at any time so that no one is hungry, so that I don't have to see pictures of kids who are starving somewhere. Like I, I want him to use God magic to just take care of the problems in the world. I want to see that happen. But he shows us something different. I want him to also be this king messiah who is rules over not just Christianity, but brings this unity he talks about, where there's this, all of it, we just experience in our lifetime, everyone finally being like, oh, that's what God looks like. Or uh, this spiritual messiah who shows up, who, if you follow me, if you follow my path, if you follow my teachings, you don't have to worry about the world. You'll be safe from risk. You're not going to get hurt. I'm always with you. Um, just follow me, and you're going to be great. All these things, I'm like, okay, these do seem like what I think something should be here. And Jesus takes it a step farther and shows us something else. I almost wonder if what Satan tempted Jesus with in the desert was to give or to... Sh- he tempts him with the Messiah that it seems like all of us are, are hoping he would be and, and still longing for him to show back up and be this guy again. And this is the temptation of the devil. And he's like... You're not supposed to tempt me to look like this. Like, who are you to understand how the world works? But it's not just Satan. We see Peter doing the same thing, and Jesus rebukes him. Peter has this recoil reaction when Jesus starts to talk about how he's going to have to suffer and die. And Peter says to him, he says, Never, Lord, this will never happen to you. And in these words, Jesus hears again this temptation of Satan. Just be like, come on, you can be safe. So even Peter's like, this, there's no way. Got, Jesus is my Messiah. This can, there's, there's no way this is going to happen. And Jesus' answer to him is like, get behind me, Satan. He sees this devil's temptation again in Peter's response here. We see it on the cross. He's, he's at the end of his road here. He's even praying to God to relieve him of this if he can. He's on the cross, and we see these people jesting him, this criminal scoffing at him. He's like, aren't you supposed to be the Messiah? Aren't you supposed to be Christ? Save yourself then. Just save yourself. If you can come down, all of us would believe. And they're all like, yes, if you just do this, all of us would believe. Just show us this miracle. Save yourself. Show us this protection, and you've got all of us. And he probably would have. If the story would have been different, if Jesus comes down from the cross and like, all of a sudden he's healed up, like, what, would, what would the story change? What would it look like? There'd be people that were eyewitness accounts, like, oh yeah, we were there. Like, we saw him get down. We had this physical. And yet he resists these urges to give us everything we think we want. But we don't see him rescue himself. We don't see him promoting miracles, showboating around. We don't see him even taking the easy or painless path. He, he suffers for us. For Jesus to save us, for Jesus to save the world and everyone else, he couldn't save himself, and he had to go through this pain and suffering. And so we see this miracle, mystery, and authority are these dazzling things that we think we hope we want, but also what it seems like the devil's tempted him with, Peter's tempting him with, the people at the cross are tempting him with, and I find myself like, shoot, I'm throwing this at Jesus all the time. Like, why can't you be these things for me? Why can't you do this for me? 
He doesn't come and, dis- and establish himself beyond dispute. Everyone's like, oh yeah, that's the guy. And if a few generations pass again and we start forgetting because we weren't eyewitnesses, something else happens. And then we're all like, oh yeah, that's right. This is the one, this is where it's happening. He doesn't ever override human freedom. And I think this is a big part of it. He wants us to be able to have this chance. He doesn't want to micromanage. He's not the puppet master in the sky. There's, and he's, yet at the same time, his divine essence is love. And so at the same time, you think, wouldn't a loving parent do all these things for their kids? And you're like, maybe. But as a parent, I also realized I had to let Mia learn to make mistakes. I can't be the one like, you have to wear a helmet when you're on the bus because... If it hits a bump and you hit your head, you could get hurt. And, oh, your face is beautiful, so we should probably put a, a mask on that helmet because so, we've got to protect that because something could happen. And um, when you're swimming, only let you wear those, like, inner tubes you put on your arms so the kids just no, no problem of ever. Uh, it, again, even as a parent, you want to do that, but you realize, like, that's not the way, this, this uber protection. A way of love may be something deeper and farther than this. And he makes himself so far, or even like, he makes himself easy to reject. Like, it, it, it seems like this isn't this like complex problem. So many people are like, oh yeah, that just seems like no problem to me. And you're, if you've got that kind of power and capability, I, I would think in my human limited abilities that we would fix this differently. Dostoevsky says in the Brothers Kamarchik, he's got this really cool part. Kramarchik. That stinking great hot dog place in town like makes me say this wrong every time. Karamazov. So there's this sly inquisitor in the story who's tempting like the Jesus figure. Uh, and this is, this is what he says to this figure in the book. Uh, he says, Fortunately, the church recognized the error and corrected it and has been relying on miracle, mystery, and authority ever since. This uh, northern European author, way back in the day, realizes that these same temptations that Jesus went through are the things that were like, oh, why didn't he do that? We're going to fix that. We're going to turn the church of Jesus, the followers of Jesus, Christianity, into miracle, mystery, and authority. We're just going to show you what it's at, because Jesus must have got it wrong, and so we're going to fix it. Soren Kierkegaard says, he says, my faith suffers from too much freedom, too many temptations to disbelieve. And at times, I want God to overwhelm me, to overcome my doubts with certainty, to give final proofs of his existence and uh, proofs of his concern for me. I want that finality. And he talks about just that desire on the inside of him. But he says, my faith suffers from too much freedom. Like it, it causes something to change on the inside of him because of this. But if we talk about even faith on itself, we think faith has got to be, the opposite of that is doubt, but really the opposite of faith is certainty. And so what we're asking for is the opposite of this faith that Jesus is asking from us. We want certainty of what's going on. And really, I don't think those two things can exist. I think that's a powerful part of love. Even getting married, we want these vows at the beginning, but the vows really are only as good as your faith in each other. They're really, it, 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 it's not handcuffs so that they don't go up and, and screw up. It's still this relationship built on faith that we're trusting one another to do something. There's, and out of that extreme faith comes a love and something beautiful, but without, like there's no way to force that. You can't force uh, 
a marriage that is perfect to your vows, that just, it's, it's, that'll dry out. It'll get ugly. There's nothing there anymore. There's something in that mystery that something happens. And he even says, we read it, I think it was last week, he says there's a mystery of how marriage works, this suffering for each other, laying your life down, being sacrificial, and both of you doing it for one another and taking care of one another. There's a mystery in there that's revealed about what it looks like between God and us on earth right now. And so what's our takeaway from this then? What do we... What do we take home? How do we look at this? Again, I, I'm, I'm wanting God to reach down and fix things. Like a big thing for me is silencing people who say that they're working in his name that seem like they're, it's just corrupt. It's all about money or it's all about fame or it's all about something else. And I'm like, why don't we just like, like we don't have to snuff them out. I'm not talking anything. Like just maybe like something where their lips grew together so they couldn't talk anymore or, you know, something simple. Um... Or these religious machines sometimes that just seem like it's just about growth and we forgot about who we were following after. Um, but when I get in these zones, when I think these things, or even when I'm just sad about poverty in the world and things going on, I recognize, uh, especially since I started thinking about this, like I, I hear this echo of like this, this temptation again. Like God, just dazzle me. Just and maybe not even the dazzle me. It's really more of this, I just want a shortcut. Just, can we just speed this stuff up? I just want this to happen yesterday. And just as God resisted the temptations then, and Jesus resisted them on earth, it seems like he's showing me a gentler and a slower way of how things work. And then just trust me, don't get all freaked out. Don't try to fix things overnight. Don't try to save me or my name, or my reputation, or just... Because I was, he was never trying to do those things. Yet we're so busy sometimes doing that. Although power can force obedience, only love can summon a response of love, which is the one thing God wants from us, and the reason he created us. You can't, you can't force this. You can't force morality. There's so much about even like... Um, Socialism that I find fascinating sometimes. Like we're sharing. This seems like a great idea. Like everyone's sharing things. We're taking care of the needy. Yet when they did it, like these, these experiments, the Soviet Union, they forced people to share, yet people didn't do it out of the goodness of their heart then. It wasn't out of a love response. It was out of, they're forcing me to, to share with everyone. And it created this resentment and this, it, it did not work. It was forced. It was forced morality and it never works. There has to be a choice. There has to be that beckon and that, that option to go completely the other way that says, come on, let's try it this way. Let's see what love can do. His, he based this whole appeal of everything that's going on here on sacrificial love, not on a show of power or making it certain that this is the way it is. And, and we're called to follow him and be people of love, to be people that, that follow after this, that are known for this, that when we tap into this, when we tap into this rhythm or this song or this way of doing things, this slow, gentle way that yes, these same temptations are going to come that man, we could really speed this stuff up. Come on, let's get this going. But our answers are found in this slow process. Our answers are found in when we do see even that tidbit of change because of the sacrificial love, the hard work we put in, the something going on. We're like, that, it, it mattered to that person or this situation. I changed this. We've been talking a lot about our neighbors lately being like, we can't, Bloom can't affect the whole world, but whoever we're touching, our neighbors, the people around us here, like we've got these, we have a small sphere of influence that we really can 
bring the kingdom of heaven to these people. We can love them in a different way. We can accept. We can draw them in. We can do something about that. Instead of getting um, disappointed at the global picture and what we hope would happen and praying for a shortcut again, it's that taking the slow path and each of us picking up our cross and following him and saying, what can I do to help this person? And really there's something even with that, like that's, that's his call to follow him, pick up your cross and follow me. Is this gentle, like, hey, come on, not, it's, it's so simple, it's beautiful, but it's also scary because it's a pick up your cross. It's a, this isn't going to be just simple, but there's something here so beautiful if you just try it on for size, see what's going on, follow after me. We see this pattern of restraint that Jesus has in the desert, pattern throughout his whole life. We never see him twisting people's arms or trying to get into a discussion. No, let me prove to you. I promised you I'm the Son of God. Like, let me show you. He seems so hesitant to ever have it brought up at all. And it seems like if the crowds get too excited, he likes to slip out the back door and be like, ah, that was too much. It was getting too exciting. He gets in the boat and he crosses to the other side of the water then and go somewhere else. Take up your cross and follow me. It seems like the least manipulative invitation ever given to follow any spiritual person that we've seen. The thing that jumped out to me, though, is these same temptations we're looking at, so far we've looked at how they reflect our relationship and what we want God to be. But it reminds me of uh, the three... Um, temptations of sin. So you'll see uh, a lot of theologians say satisfaction, safety, and popularity are like the drive of the human ego and selfishness. And really we're all, where we get our eyes off of everyone else and it's only on us. We want to be satisfied. When I'm hungry, I want that bread. I want safety. I want to know that someone's with me. And I, wa- I want popularity. I want people to like me. I want to feel like something's going on. And these three kind of foundations of sin seem a lot similar to the three temptations of Jesus in the desert. The same thing the devil's offering him is the same thing that seems to get in our way sometimes. Like, oh man, it's just, I'm just chasing after being satisfied. I'm chasing after safety. I'm chasing after popularity. I was listening to this uh, philosopher this last week on a podcast, and he was talking about how it's, we chase after these things. We're like, when I get these things, I'll finally be happy. And Some people actually find popularity or a a form of safety in a sense or find a way to get enough money where they can be satisfied all the time. They're just empty. He was talking about how finding happiness in the mundane of everyday life and just the simplest little actions are where the truest people who are happy are. And so we want to be followers of Jesus and we want to change the world, but maybe it's in the simplest act of buying a cup of coffee for someone or... um, I'm writing this and thinking about it, and then this, this week, Amy and I went to the, the diner, and we're having breakfast, and it was busy at this diner we normally go to, and this girl sitting next to us obviously needs her check and needs to go, but she can't get anyone's attention because it's just crazy. And so I'm, I, I think of all this, and I'm like, oh, man, she had a pancake. I mean, how much does a pancake cost? And in there, it's $1.75, so don't even be like thinking six bucks. It's $1.75 for a pancake where I go to breakfast. I'm like, we got your, you got to get out of here. It looks like you do. She's like, yeah, can you get their attention? I'm like, I'll just tell her to put your pancake on ours. And she's like, really? I'm like, just go. Like, it's $1.75. Like, seriously? Like, I'm not buying you. This would be a better story if it was like a $20 meal. I'm like, yeah, I got you. Like, I'll put your buck seventy-five down. I'll even give a 100% tip because, I, you know, like, ooh, I'm out 350 I hope I did the math right on that. And 
But it's these simple things that like someone saw someone's willingness to be like, I was in this to how I could help her. Like, you need to get out of here. How can I help you get out of here? Yep, buck 75, I got that. Get on your way. Go move. I also love the people here and want to help alleviate whatever busyness is going on because I've been in that busy restaurant where you're like, oh my God, it's, I don't know. It's, everything seems like it's spinning out of control and you just one person to help you. And if it comes from a customer, man, like you're here, I'm here to serve you and then you decided that you love this place enough to lend a hand. Like there's just these tiny motivations of love that can just change so much. Um, sometimes when I find myself vulnerable to wanting God to look certain ways or lack the willpower to be reminded at any moment that yes, this simple, slow, gentle path of love is the way to go uh, or the patience to just, come on, God, let's do this now. I want to see some change now in my life. Um, when I feel these temptations, like I pray for the same trust and patience that Jesus showed because he, we, we see him retreating and praying all the time. He must have been like, just don't help me get caught up in the easy way again. Like, remind me that it's the slow, the gentle way, that there's something more here. And so I've, I found myself praying that. Okay, remind me of that again, Lord. Je- Jesus needed it. Half human, half divine. He needed it. I'm going to need it as well as I keep going forward. I want to finish with this verse. In Hebrews, it says, For Jesus is not some high priest who has no sympathy for our weaknesses and flaws, for he has already been tested in every way that we are tested. And think about the temptations he went through in the desert. We think tested sometime and we throw it into the weirdest things, but he's, he's been tested with satisfaction and safety and popularity, if not more than anything else. And it says that he can sympathize with us then. He's been tested in every way. He can sympathize with us. He understands what it's like to walk in our shoes. It says, but he was tested and he emerged victorious without failing God. So let us step boldly to the throne of grace where we can find mercy and grace to help when we need it most. And so it's when we find ourselves going back in for the quick fix, when we find ourselves uh, just getting caught up in in some of the pursuits of the world that we think is going to bring this life, joy, or happiness, or we think is going to expand the kingdom and just be exactly what God needs. It's this reminder that I can just slow down and come before God. I can pray. I can get in that place where I'm paying attention to his spirit, and I can find that grace that I need. I I can be reminded of his love. I can just find that sense of peace that just seems in a busy world to just melt away all the rest of the busyness and be like, yeah, this is what it's all about. These are the same temptations you went through. For some reason, a Jesus that's tempted with uh, good-looking women, there's these things that Jesus and Mary Magdalene were just a thing. And whatever, maybe, maybe not. But like, for some reason, I don't resonate with that. Like, this divine Jesus, like he's in this zone. Like, uh, or maybe the temptation to... Uh, I, don't, I don't know, but I, I'm lacking examples but these three seem to be like all of a sudden when i realize that these are the temptations that the devil brought and that we see over and over again witnessed through these gospels I'm like this i can relate to because this i feel i feel the, re- the 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 desire to come back to these things and to know that he's he was tempted with the same things like and can sympathize with us like, it just draws me closer to god and it just makes me feel loved so much more and i'm hoping that each of us feel a sense of that this morning um, let's pray and go to discussion uh, I did make discussion questions good. Um, Jesus, we just ask that uh, it seems like the temptations of life, not even 
just the devil himself, but this world we live on, this satisfaction, safety, popularity, that these things seem like they bring with it a weight of glory, a something that's just going to make life better. And we can spend all our energy and all our time and all our effort chasing them to find an emptiness at the end. And so instead we ask that through this slow, gentle process of love that you keep demonstrating to us, that you keep having patience as we're walking them out, as our community attempts to walk them out. We just ask that you would remind us of that, that you would keep us on that path, that we would remember to go boldly to you, to come and pray and find that grace, to find that peace, to find that reassurance of your love in that simple, soft area, and that we could just keep moving forward, trusting that even the simplest actions of love that we're doing, these slow, steady things that don't seem to bring the big results that we're hoping for, but that they are, they're laying a foundation for something better. And so we just thank you for that right now. In Jesus' name, amen.